Welcome to episode 43 of Oscar Sunday. I'm Austin Johnson. I'm Connor Gary. And today we're going to talk about a movie that came and went for me called She Done Him Wrong from 1933. Got just one nomination at the 6th Academy Awards for Best Picture, which kind of raises an eyebrow. Uh, this movie is about an hour long, and like I said, I just didn't really care for it. What do you think? <laughs> it's pointless. I fell asleep three times, and it's an hour long. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I totally feel that, where... You, you, you feel like it's a two hour run, you know, run time. Uh, and, and yeah, it's literally an hour long, this movie. She Done Him Wrong from 1933, uh, starring Mae West and Cary Grant. And, you know, there's some decent stuff performance wise in it, but just the story is so lazy. And then these characters are just kind of stereotypes. So <laughs> I, yeah, I, I just didn't really, didn't really uh, go for this one, but we, we have awards picked out for it that we're going to talk about later. Uh, we're also going to, just kind of take a look at the sixth Academy Awards for fun. But, but before we get into that, cause it's not going to be a whole lot of uh, fun necessarily. I, I want to do something because the, the, the 93rd Academy Awards, which are, you know, going to be talking about the films of, you know, 2020 and some films from 2021. Uh, th- those are about a month away now. Uh, you know, it's what's today. Today is we're recording this on Friday night. So uh, you know, we're literally, you know, on Sunday when you're listening to this, it's uh, literally a month away from, from the big day. April, April 25th uh, on Sunday is when, when, you know, the Oscars will, will happen. And there's a lot of interesting individuals who are kind of working behind the scenes on it. And I'm, I'm, I'm getting more and more excited. Uh, but I kind of want to see where you're at, Connor, as an as a individual and as an Oscar fan uh, with, with the Best Picture nominees. So I kind of want to go down the line here and just kind of see where we're both at. If we've seen them, where you saw them and just kind of where, do you think they deserve this spot and, and kind of where you see them? Uh, we'll start with the father because that's the first one listed here on the uh, basic ass Wikipedia page. <laughs> uh, I have not seen this one. Uh, it's in theaters. I intend on trying to, you know, knock this one out. It's actually the only one I haven't seen of the whole group. Uh, and I, I know you've seen them all, but I want to know where and, and how and all that good jazz uh, the, the father is, is, is one you saw the most recently, probably, right? Of the nominees. Uh, yes, that was my most recent. Um, okay. that was my long awaited return to the draft house. I mm. was very much looking forward to that. I was at the draft house park North by the, uh, uh, North star mall. And I was the only one there in the theater, uh, which is not weird these days. And, I, uh, I had a great time by myself and the movie is a emotional roller coaster for sure. It's a yeah. uh, very sad movie, very realistic movie, the most realistic depiction of just a you know dementia ridden mind that I've ever seen. And uh, I do think it does deserve a nomination for best picture. Hell yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm super excited to see this one. Uh, Florian, Zell- Florian Zeller is a guy who's kind of, you know, making waves. He's definitely got an eye adapting his own play. Uh, at Olivia Coleman, you know, I adore what she's done the past few years. And of course, seeing her alongside Hopkins is something that I got to see. So, uh, yeah, that's, that's the only one I haven't checked out, but, uh, you know, I know you've been, you know, staying committed and going to the theater. And I, I, I very much respect that. I, I can't wait to get back. Uh, I'll, I'll probably be hitting up, you know, Santico's embassy a lot whenever, whenever, you know, all this, these vaccinations hit and, I feel like it's safe for my girlfriend and I to go. I can't wait. Uh, Judas and the Black Messiah. 
HBO oh. Max, HBO Max release. Uh, pretty, pretty decent movie. <laughs> um, this is Shaka King's, you know, second feature length film. Uh, the first one was kind of like a dramedy type movie. And so this is a whole different level of, you know, filmmaking. This incredible biopic about Fred Hampton starring Daniel Kaluuya. And of course, Lakeith Stanfield, both guys who are nominated. Uh, what do you think about Judas? You know, of course, we both watched it at home on HBO Max. But what do you think about this? This was fantastic. This was one of the most brutal, honest biopics I've seen in years. Uh, Kaluuya's performance, I still think about. Like, I was so blown away. And I'm so happy Lakeith also got nominated. He was widely shut out for most of the award season. And here he is. And um, I'm very happy this got nominated. I want it to win. Uh, I don't know if that'll happen. But here's hoping. It, it deserves to be here. Ah, oh, man. Yeah, I, I definitely... Oh, it definitely deserves to be here. I think it's definitely one of the strongest, you know, releases, you know, wide releases, right, of the past past calendar year. There's no question about that. And inside of it are, like you said, two pretty pretty amazing performances. Uh, Daniel Kaluuya, it's his second nomination. Of course, he was also nominated for playing Chris in Get Out. Uh, I think he should have won. <laughs> <laughs> I think it should have been him or Daniel Day-Lewis for Phantom Thread, but that's, that's a different conversation. Uh, I, I, th- I think this movie, my favorite thing about it is how, how, how many conversations have come out of it, you know? Yeah. <clears throat> kind of the, after, the aftermath of a movie and Judas and the Black Messiah is just kind of oozing with all these different styles. And then, of course, when you break down the subject matter, it is just very you know, very extremely, you know, tough storytelling, uh, uh, something that kind of we knew was going to be made, you know, I had high expectations and it, it delivered, you know, uh, for, for Connor and I anyway, it really delivered. So yeah, I'm definitely pulling for this movie to, to, to win best picture. I don't, don't think it's going to happen. Um, but it would be very cool. It'd be very cool to see this kind of this gritty biopic that had just, again, oozed with style. It'd be really cool to see that get the win. Uh, I, I would have loved to see that one in theaters, huh? That would have been pretty powerful. That would have been pretty powerful. I agree, but I am glad that Warner Brothers had that HBO Max deal so we were able to see it regardless. Uh, I'm happy that that's kind of, you know, our sneak preview show has really relied on that. Mm-hmm. And, uh, I'm grateful that we have that. Yeah, for sure. We've talked at great length about, well, we talked about, uh, we talked at great length about Judas and the Black Messiah on an episode on sneak preview based a whole damn episode around it. And we've been able to do that, like you said, because of the streaming services with sneak previews kind of base these episodes around movies that maybe came out in theaters or maybe came out on Netflix or this or that. And it's, it's great to be able to pull from all these different, you know, resources. Uh, do you want it to be in theaters? Of course, <laughs> of course. But uh, yeah, it's just not totally realistic right now for everybody. And it, I'm, I'm glad that HBO Max also did, is doing the thing where there's a window of time to watch it and then it's gone like Judas and the Black Messiah had like a month where you could watch it and now it's off the streaming service. I think that's smart to just kind of get people, you know, get, get light a fire under their ass. Hey, watch it. That's a way we create a conversation. That's how art kind of builds and, you know, gains this following. So yeah, I, I, I'm, you know, there's pros and cons to it. That's a, a conversation that will never end with the streaming service stuff. Uh, uh, let's, let's move on to a Netflix movie. <laughs> uh, Mank, directed by David Fincher. This came out back early December, man. It feels like ages ago. Uh, I remember this came out the same week as uh, Sound of Metal. 
and you and I were like, God damn, like, I wish we were doing sneak preview now. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I remember, you know, we, we based the Citizen Kane episode around the release of Mank. That was a blast getting to look into the career of Herman Herman Mankiewicz and Mm -hmm. enjoy, you know, a David Fincher film, which to us is very much an event film experience as Fincher comes around, you know, once in a blue moon. And this was a film based off a screenplay written by his father when that had majestating for so long and you could feel the love and care that everybody put into this film. And it is entertaining as shit. Mank was great. And I am, I'm pulling for Mank. There's really no, for me, there's no, uh, you know, missteps here with the nominees. Like I, I'd be happy if any of these films won. <laughs> that's, that's a good year for me. That's fair. Yeah. I, I, I felt that way last year, <clears throat> like to almost, it was almost scary to where my least favorite movies were Joker and the Irishman. And I was like, I kind of like those a little bit, you know, and that just, that just doesn't happen. And for it to happen again, to an extent, uh, there's a couple I don't feel as strongly about, but we'll get to them. Mank. (laughs) Yeah. I'm, you know, I'm an absolute sucker. You know, when we plan these episodes, you know, for Oscar Sunday, there's so many people you can kind of base your, conversations around you know there's movies you can base your conversations around and and it you know it's very apparent that you know we did fight club early on with this show we did citizen kane and we talked about mank (laughs) and i can't stay away from fincher you know i i love 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 the guys you know filmography there's kind of something there in every movie even alien 3 is kind of like you know because it's the weird weirdo you know like you don't belong but it's kind of funny and 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 mank to me you know it, le- it leads all it leads all movies with 10 nominations and to me in my mind it's like yeah fuck yeah that's right <laughs> but it also raises my eyebrow like wait a minute if the academy thinks so then what's wrong with me <laughs> you, you know and you don't want to always agree with these giant um giant groups of people that are voting for stuff but I think they got it right here. I love Mank. I think I, I think it's a you know borderline masterpiece, one of the strongest movies of the year for sure, and so damn entertaining. I think that's where people have gotten it kind of misunderstood. I don't know what they think they're watching. It's like just watch the fucking movie, uh, watch Gary Oldman, watch Amanda Seyfried. Just watch them. You don't have to. And if you want the background knowledge, that's great. It's great. Watch Citizen Kane do this and that. But I feel like people set this weird expectation for Mank, like it's going to change their lives or something. It's a fucking movie. And we hold it in the same regard as, as all these other ones. And I think people set the bar so goddamn high for Fincher. Yeah. And they forget that they're watching a movie, you know. And for me to say that, it's, it, you know, me, it says a lot because I love David Fincher's work. But when I'm watching Mank... I was like laughing my ass off at times when Gary Oldman's just drunk off his ass, you know, playing Mankiewicz and he's, you know, talking to the side of his mouth. I'm laughing my ass off. And when Fincher is doing things that I've seen him do in movies, movies past and kind of perfecting it. I like that. And yeah, I just, I, I really enjoyed this one. I, I definitely think it'd be really cool if it won. I just do not think it's happening. I think it's going to actually lose a lot of them just it's going to be like chinatown where it got a lot and might only win one or two uh that of course happened to chinatown it, it was nominated for 11 and only won one you know and it, it, sometimes it can happen i think mank is going to be in that kind of uh that kind of place i think mank takes home a few uh technical awards maybe production design maybe makeup but yeah i think the acting awards probably not 
I think the Academy gave Gary Oldman his Oscar, and I don't think they're going to give him another one, regrettably. And Amanda Seyfried, I just, I don't see it happening. Yeah. Yeah, I, yeah. I, I, I love what they're both doing, but I, I wouldn't even necessarily choose them. I just, I, I just love, love how entertaining they both are in that movie. <laughs> yeah, Absolutely. Yeah, man. Well, um, we're, we're going to keep, you know, bringing up these streaming services. Uh, I believe, well, well, Minari, you had to rent, uh, I believe it was what, 1999, something like that. And you and I split that. So, uh, I watched it one night, then you watched the next, you know, we kind of just did it that way and woo, Jesus Christ. This is a, this is a good one. This is one that I want to return to like very soon. Uh, Minari is, uh, Reminds me a lot of the films I've been kind of <clears throat> digging into the past year in my own time. Uh, just, just reminded me of some of like the greats with uh, Lee Isaac Chunk's patience with this movie. Yeah, reminded me, reminded me of you know Barry Jenkins and Alfonso Cuarón and some some guys who just really have a an understanding of pace and yeah. tempo and movement. And this Minari just the whole time you're kind of you're kind of the hairs on your neck are just up. You don't know why you do. You're just kind of there. You're just kind of going and going and going and on this journey. And you keep kind of getting jabbed, you know, you kind of keep getting jabbed. You never really get punched in the face, but it's those, it's those like a thousand jabs in this movie that just kind of keep coming at you, keep coming at you. By the end of it, you're like, Whoo, what a film. And it reminded me, yeah, it reminded me of a lot of movies I love. And I love when movies do that. Well, week this came out officially for all of us to rent and watch, we had a sneak preview already planned around the United States versus Billy Holiday. Yeah. And the way we do sneak preview is we pick one movie that comes out during the week to base the bulk of our conversation around. And then whatever else we get to, we kind of bring up as an appetizer. And Minari, I think, I don't think any of us were prepared for what that was going to be. And I think we both kind of regretted not making it the, the base. Yeah, yeah. And, and Brianna, too. Yes. Uh, Brianna and I both, you know, came in hot and both gave that movie a nine, Minari. And both had our issues with the, the just kind of biopicy issues of, of United States versus Billy Holiday. While we loved Andre Day's performance, we, we were both stirred by Minari. And still, still, you know, we've talked about it a bit since, and it's just one of those movies that just kind of, just kind of marinates in you, you know, it just kind of marinates in your mind. Well, now it's, you know, now it qualifies for a future Oscar Sunday. <laughs> for sure. Yeah. And, and all these films do. And, you know, of course it's the, we like to do different decades and stuff, but you know, since there's only one year, we're going to kind of throw this into like the 2010s, you know, since it's 2020 until they start building up more. But for sure, all these movies now are on the block, man. You know, they're, they're movies that are potentially potential episodes. And I, I would love to revisit Minari with the mindset of trying to pick awards for it. Because I, I, have, I thought every performance was just a knockout. Uh, from, from, yeah, from the child, the little boy, to, to Steven Yoon, you know, just lights out stuff. Yeah, it's, it, was, it was great. I, um, I was expecting it to get, you know, when I saw the Globes, it was widely ignored. It only got like nominated for uh, foreign film, which was a you know a travesty. 
Uh, so I'm glad the Oscars threw it quite a lot of love, really gave it the respect it deserves. And I think as we saw with uh, Parasite getting a boost of people checking it out with last year's Oscars, I can see people thinking, you know, looking at Minari and seeing, oh, six Oscar nominations. What's this? And giving it a little bit of love. So I'm happy yeah. with that. Yeah. And, and that's that's one of the cool things right there. And I'll speak for myself on this is that Lee Isaac Chung, I'll be honest, is not a name that I had on my radar until now. And I I have to, you know, see, see what, see see why that is sometimes, you know, and even last year with Bong Joon-ho, I had seen most of his movies before Parasite, but not all of them. And when he won all that shit, I I damn sure went back and watched all of them, you know? And now I feel that way about Lee Isaac Chung here. Uh, is is like oh what have I missed in the past? Like, oh this guy's been making movies for twenty five years. Okay, let's see what else he's got in the you know let's see what else he's got in the bag. And what whatever that that is you know the uh, the Academy kind of pushed me that way, you know. And I I'm kind of forever grateful for that because they've done that many times for my fandom. Yeah, you know sometimes people who are visionaries don't get recognized by the Academy until they're, you know, late into their career. I mean, Christopher Plummer didn't get nominated until he was in his eighties. So mm-hmm. yeah, I think, you know, what this does for us is kind of give us direction for somebody new and then allows us to yeah. go. Otherwise we never would have, well, maybe not never, but we probably wouldn't have found them for quite a long time. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, man. Uh, well, I, I think the next movie is, Similar and similar in, in, in pace to Minari, that'd be Nomadland, which came out on Hulu, and that was that had to be mid February, uh, yeah. because we we did a Fargo episode here on Oscar Sunday. We you know we we're trying to you know pay pay our respects to Frances McDormand, who is going for her third, <laughs> going for her third Oscar here. Of course, she lost the Golden Globe. A lot of people think she might lose again. I'm still holding out hope. I want her to get that third win. I want her to be in that group of, you know, there's very few people who have won three or more. I would love for her to be in that group. I want to witness it. Because most of the people that have done it are not with us anymore or, or are not working like they were. Um, Franny is the one that can get across that line. And it's not, I'm not just saying that because I'm a fan of hers. I really like the, the, this role. I really like this movie, Nomadland. Uh, you know, we both, I think, gave it like a solid eight, you know, and we we're, we we're kind of on the same page about it. H- have you thought about it more? I have. Um, mostly the score has kind of stayed with me. Mm. Uh, it's a movie about really kind of the decline of America and the people we're ignoring. And I can see this taking home Best Picture. It's kind of the front runner, unofficially. And uh, I don't know what that, what, what, what kind of message do you think that would send if Nomadland is the film that wins Best Picture? That's a very, very interesting conversation. Oh, man. You know, we talked a little bit about just the, the, kind, of, the kind of fine line that Chloe Zhao, Francis McDormand and company are, are kind, of, kind of on here. You know, they're kind of documentary kind of movie you know these are these are real life people that they're filming and they're talking to that actually live this way and like you said have been kind of pushed aside by society so that's a very very interesting you know topic and and if a movie wins best picture you you know and i know 
know, and we all know that the movie wins best picture, people are going to start to try to find little things about it to pick apart. Always. If it loses, it won't happen. <laughs> but when a movie wins best picture, you are now, oh, mm, you won. Let's see if you're actually any good. I, I, I think, and to back this you know, theory up, I'll, I'll, I'll use a huge movie, I'll use The Departed. I think The Departed would, be, would have been better suited for its legacy if it would have lost best picture. Yeah, there is this kind of almost a rebel quality to the films that lose. And uh, yeah, I can see The Departed kind of having a, like a crown it doesn't want almost. Yes. And Scorsese is like, that's not really my best movie. <laughs> 26 years ago. <laughs> Six, well, 16 before Departed. I mean, you know, and, and I don't like when, you know, there's like makeup awards, right? Where you, you oh, we messed up, so we're going to do this. And, and, and that's a different, that, well, it's not a totally different conversation. Because I, I think Nomadland, if it wins, people are going to attack it no matter what of these movies wins, you know, it's going to be, it's People are going to pick it apart. And Nomadland has those little things about it that I'm not quite sure how to defend. I like the movie. I think it's good. You know, and I, 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 I'm with you, the score and the direction have just kind of sat with me. There's been multiple, there's multiple shots in this movie where I'm like, Whoa, <laughs> holy shit. You know, and that's why Chloe Zhao, you know, as is up for best director. And those are the things that I've kind of carried with me, but I, but I understand that if this movie wins, like I understand that people are going to have their issues with it. Interesting thing about this year's selection is all of these films are pretty controversial in one way or another. There's oh. no safe bet this time. Like anything that wins is going to spark a certain type of conversation. Like it's, I, I, it's a I, landmine yeah. field right now. I, I agree. I actually think the smartest, and this I don't think it's going to happen. I think the smartest choice is Minari. Yeah. Yeah. If I, I, I'm not saying that's the best movie of the group, you know, I, it's very hard to choose the best, and I have not seen The Father, so I can't totally say that. But Minari seems like the one where it's like, what is the problem with it? <laughs> there, you know what I mean? Uh, these, these other ones, are, like you said, you know, I've, I've heard a lot about Judas and the Black Messiah. Okay, I'll hear that out. I'll hear out. I've heard people who, quite frankly, hate that movie. I've heard plenty of people talk about Mank that can't stand it. Uh, plenty of people have complained about Nomadland. And that brings us to the most controversial one, probably of the group. And that's Promising Young Woman. Uh, Emerald Fennell's, uh, you know, film about, I'm not sure. Connor, maybe you can help me. <laughs> Yeah, so this is a... Uh, you, you saw it in theaters, right? I did, yes. Again, by myself, alone in yeah. a theater. Um, went in just expecting to kind of cross it off my list, ended up absolutely adoring it, and it ended up becoming, like, in a perfect world, the film that wins everything for me. Uh, but I know that's not going to happen. And there is, you know, a lot of... There's a lot of different ways you can look at this film. Mm-hmm. A lot of people have said it's insincere. A lot of people have said it's um, disrespectful. A lot of people have said it's just not saying enough. Yeah. And I just think that, again, goes back to your, uh, the way you talked about Mank. It's, it's a movie. Yeah. It's, yeah. 
not trying to change the world. It's telling a story. It's telling mm-hmm. a fictional story about a woman whose best friend is raped and driven to suicide. And she spends the rest of her existence trying to destroy the lives of everyone who was involved. It's to me, a straight up revenge thriller. And I'm a sucker for revenge thrillers. I've always loved those stories. I always love seeing assholes get theirs. And this is very yeah. much that kind of movie to me. Uh, I loved Carrie Mulligan's performance. I thought Bo Burnham was great. Um, I think yes. the sporting catch could have been a little, a little bit more involved. I agree with that, but for what it, for what I went in expecting, I was very satisfied and I, I love it. I bought it immediately the day it came out. Uh, yeah. Very much a fan of this. It was a solid nine for me. Yeah. Yeah. I, I'm, I'm you know, I agree with a lot of what you said and then I still kind of interpretations of my own thoughts uh initially you know and i rented this at home whenever it came out but because because when the you know and this is another thing where the oscars have <laughs> had a huge play and just how, how people watch things the oscar nominations came out and a day later promising a woman was available to rent for 6.99 <laughs> a lot of people that was smart huh <laughs> a lot of people uh including myself went ahead and spent that seven bucks and dove into this movie that of all of these has to me, to me, maybe not everybody, the most fascinating and interesting aftermath conversation by, by a landslide. Uh, I could, I could talk about Mank forever, but hearing other people talk about promising woman is so fucking fascinating because of the, 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 the range. And you already kind of brought up, you know, people have problems with the sincerity of it. The, the title Promising Woman is, you know, a lot, a lot of the media called Brock, uh, what's that fucker's name? Brock Turner, uh, Promising Young Man in the media whenever he did his, his fucking shenanigans. And, you know, it's touchy. That shit is touchy. Uh, you and I, are, quite frankly, are probably not in a place to really talk, talk about it per se. Uh, because, because, you know, it's a, it's a, like you said, it's a, it's, a, it's a revenge thriller that involves, heavily involves suicide and rape. And uh, probably suicide after rape, right? And because of rape, right? Because of trauma. And that's what we we're led to believe in this movie. And so, you know, those are, those are huge things. And there's going to immediately right there, there's immediately, no matter what your movie is and how good it is, how bad it is, there's going to be people who are like, fuck this shit, no matter what. I'm not one of those people at all. I, I kind of sunk my teeth into it. You know, as the movie started going, kept going, I was like, man, what? I was like, okay, Bo Burnham surely isn't a nice guy in this movie, you know? And of course not. And it keeps going. And, you know, Max Greenfield, and all these, these other people who are, who are kind of casted uh, to play like bags, right? When normally they play kind of nice guys in these other, you know, rom-com type atmospheres. I like all those decisions, like as a movie. I really do. And I think stylized, this movie is kind of through the roof, you know? There's there's shots in this movie that are kind of breathtaking. But it kind of ended, you know, I I just, I think for me, the reason I give it a 7 out of 10 and not higher is just, and I think that's like the ceiling of this movie is because I, I just simply don't know what it's trying to say. I don't know how to interpret it because... You could look at it in so many different ways. And, and the, the immediate way I looked at it was when the credits started rolling was 
okay, was this about how bleak everything is and how everything is just fucked and how the cops only pay attention when there's murder and not rape? Uh, okay, so now, so now there's two dead bodies on the cops' hands. Is that what we're saying? Because the girl, because the girl was raped and nobody listened, and then she committed suicide because of the rape, and now we have another dead girl because of all this. I, whoa! So the cops just suck. Like, is that what we're saying? And they fail to do anything because they only show up when there's murder. Uh, is that is that what the message is? Or I, I'm not quite sure what was accomplished. You know, this guy goes to jail, sure, but she's dead. She's dead and her whole life, like she needs therapy, man. Like her parents, like, like she's clearly losing her mind throughout this movie. And I was just like, what exactly is happening? Is she dreaming? Is this a, there's, there was, there's quite frankly, inside the two hour frame, there's just too much interpretation for me to, to kind of handle. And it, it got, obviously it got kind of out of control for me. And I was like, what the, what was that? It was that just about how dark everything is and that if that is the case that's okay but i'm not quite sure because not everybody's interpreting it that way well you have to remember that this is a story told from carrie mulligan's perspective yes she saw a place that she had grown to be to feel safe at betray her and her best friend she saw her best friend lose her mind due to being raped and then yeah. killed herself. So then Carrie Mulligan retreats into herself and thinks the world is a nightmare. Everyone is a, is a son of a bitch and there is no hope. So it would feel that way because we're seeing everything from her. She gets like unfairly manipulated and just yeah. driven to so many dark moments throughout this film. She never gets any peace because it just, I think in, a, in, her own, in a lot of ways, she's her own worst enemy. There's, this is not a good thing to do. What, what she's doing is fucked up and it ruins her life too. And I don't really know how, what else, like I don't have a lot more I can say beyond just it's her story. Yeah. And certain, you know, sometimes from the narrator's perspective, the world seems a little askew. And I mean, we've seen that many times. Yes, that's a great trope. Yeah, yeah. I think that's what she was. That's what Emerald Fennel was using. I think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that, that's. I actually think if it is like flat out interpreted as just being a very, very dark part of this person's life, I. Then yeah, I think kind of worked. You know, um, there's just there, there's so much. You know, and this this is partly due to me. I, I just, I read so much, you know, I get on Letterboxd, I get on all these different websites and I'm just reading what people say about it. It's just like, Jesus, you know, there's people who are lighting this movie on fire. And I don't, I just don't agree with that. Cause again, you know, we, this brings up, it, it's a fucking movie. It doesn't need to, it doesn't need to solve your life as a viewer. It's not, exactly. it's not supposed to be handed to you. You know, this is not Emerald a Fennell's idea. It's not made for anybody. It's a movie. It's a fictional yeah. story. That's open to interpretation and people need to stop acting like it's true. Yeah. Yeah. I, yeah. Yeah. It's fascinating. This one promising a woman and for it to be in this group is, is so cool. Cause it stirs the pot, just stirs the pot, gets a different kind of genre film in there. And uh, of course you and I appreciate that. You know, it's definitely a revenge thriller at heart and not a lot of those movies get into the best picture category. So that's pretty cool. 
personally, from my perspective, this is Death Wish with a female lead. That's just what that's what that's what I saw. That's what I took away from it, and I'm okay with that. And you know, everyone's entitled to their own opinions and their own thoughts about what they think with this film and all films. But to yeah. me, I enjoyed it for what I thought it was. Yeah. Yeah, again, I think I think there's really good style there. Overall, I just I probably need to see it again. You know what I mean? I probably need to just check it again and kind of be like, okay, maybe I'll maybe I'll just kind of feel more comfortable with it. You know what I mean? Yeah, of course. Well, I bought it and threw it into the voodoo. So boom. <laughs> I'll check it out sometime. Yeah. <laughs> it, it would obviously be a really cool episode to do on this show. So uh, we, we got two more. Uh, we got an Amazon Prime movie and we got a Netflix movie. So let's let's do the Prime one real quick. Uh, Sound of Metal. This is, uh, of course, a, a film that we brought up a little bit ago when we were talking about Mank. Came out, came out around the same time. I believe it was December 2nd on Amazon Prime. And I remember just kind of chomping at the bit. I was ready for this movie. You know, uh, very, very much, uh, you know, a Riz Ahmed fan. And, you know, Darius Martyr, the guy who directed it, he... Uh, he helped write Place Beyond the Pines and Blue Valentine. He worked with Derek Chianfrance. So I'm just, you know, kind of, kind of in on, in on him, you know, I'll, I'll see what his vision's about. And whew, we have a film here. <laughs> oh boy. I love, love this movie. I believe I had it at number two on my favorite movies of 2020. When we did that for our, uh, our first episode of sneak preview, I still adore it. I revisited it. I still adore it. <laughs> you know, it's, it's a powerful, powerful movie. And simply put, uh, one, of my, one of my all-time favorite writers, uh, Wesley Morris, writes for the New York Times right now, and I just adore his movie mind. Uh, he said very simply that Sound of Metal is one of the best movies about human change. And I couldn't agree more. Um, when you narrow down, when you chisel down your screenplay to something like losing your hearing and you fucking pound that in, pound that into the audience, it's very, very clear what this movie's about. Very, very clear what that, that ending, very clear that that ending is supposed to make you feel a certain way. And I'm just completely rocked by this movie. I love it. I wasn't planning on watching this. I didn't know anything about it. I hadn't heard anything about it. I didn't really look into it. And then you texted me and said, holy shit, you need to check this out. I'm like, all right, I trust his judgment. And I watched it. And I'm like, holy shit, that was great. Ended up being my number 10 on my top 10 uh, best of the year. And I, I did not expect this to get as much Oscar attention as it did. And I'm very happy it did. Mm -hmm. uh, it's a very brutally honest film about, like you said, change and just how it there's, you know, you got to make a decision about your future at some point when you're dealt a shit hand. And did he make the right one? We don't know. I, I personally think he didn't. I, I think that he had an opportunity to live in peace and he, he didn't take it. Uh, and that's sad. I love the way it kind of shows his desire to hear again as an addiction. I thought that was so smart. And Riz Ahmed was fantastic. Uh, yeah, I couldn't praise this movie enough. Very, uh, very happy I uh, was led to this. 
Yeah, and I'm, I'm, I'm pulling for, for my boy Paul in the Best Supporting Actor category. I would love for him. He, he plays Joe at the kind of, you know, the house, and he's just jesus christ he's so challenging this character is so challenging and as 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 a viewer i was yeah i was very very grateful for this one and and i i liked it i liked it a lot uh, let's talk about sorkin <laughs> uh we, we we've we brought him up um you know before we did Moneyball uh a long time ago now on this show and you know, of course, we kind of went down the line of Sorkin's career and talked a bit about Trailer Chicago 7, which came out on Netflix. You and I, of course, both kind of treated that movie as an event, yes. uh, kind of, you know, got on the couch. I, I, I remember it vividly, uh, watched it with my brother and his wife, and we were just kind of like, here we go. And uh, in the initial viewing, I really liked it, you know, and I, I just haven't had a desire to revisit it, really. I'm not sure what it is. Uh, I, I still stand by, I, I gave it an eight and I still stand by that, but I, I just, I haven't had most of these other movies. I have a desire to like really dig, dig back into. And this is the one where I'm kind of like, yeah, I liked it, but I, I don't know. I'm just kind of, just kind of a uh, neutral about it at this point, I guess. I think it's because it's so goddamn painful. I think this, this movie, well, a lot of these movies are, yeah, are tough. Yeah. <laughs> this one especially is just getting, you know, beat down from beginning to end just knowing there's no you know justice isn't real like that's fucked up and i i i loved this movie when i first watched this i remember thinking to myself this is the film to beat at at the oscars and then everything else came out and i don't necessarily know if that's still true but it's i I think that sorkin was in top form like he always is behind uh, you know with the screenplay i think his directing still leaves a bit to be desired he's got he's got work oh yeah Oh yeah, cast is superb, and just the story is so upsetting and so infuriating that I can totally understand this being a one and done for some people. Yeah, I guess I guess that's confusing for me as a fan, just because I I'm like, give me Judas and the Black Messiah again and again and again, and it's uh, another late '60s you know docudrama that that I just really really dig. And Charlie Chicago Seven, I think I think I think it's Sorkin. I, I think now, like what you just you just said, it, I think it's his directing. I think it's I just don't really want to. Similar to like Molly's Game, saw it, really liked some moments, but I don't really need to go back because uh, it's kind of sloppy. And while I love Jessica Chastain's performance in it, I just like you know, and I feel that way about Charlie Chicago Seven. I think you know John Carroll Lynch is awesome. I think they should have cast somebody else other than Sasha Baron Cohen because of age. He just looks kind of ridiculous as a twenty-five year old. Uh, but I think most of the, I think most of the cast is really good. And I think Frank Langella is the best. Uh, I think he gave the best performance in the whole movie. He's the most evil, you know, just ridiculous judge. And he, he's Frank is a legend. I agree with you with Sasha Baron Cohen. I think he wouldn't have been the guy I would have chosen from that ensemble for the Oscar nomination. To me, it would have been Mark Rylance. Oh, I, no question. Yeah. Oh my God. Rylance is a light years ahead of, and Eddie Redmayne, Rylance's walk is like doing circles around him at, at times. <laughs> and I was never, you know, I like Mark Rylance, but I, I wouldn't consider myself a huge fan. I still think that he stole Sylvester Stallone's Oscar. Yeah. <laughs> but I fucking loved him in this. And the whole cast is great. The story is just, I want to reach for the TV and punch that fucking judge. I, I Yeah, yeah. It's a rough movie to get through. But it's very important to, to watch, I think, just so you can know this story. 
Because it's a story I had never heard of, and a lot of people I think our age don't know. Uh, I, I will, will. Same with Judas, right? You know, this yeah. late '60s. This there's these there's these American stories that people, like you said, our age are just just not quite familiar with because they're not in the history books. And you know, we we learn now that there's a reason for that because you know, well, because of reason because of reasons we probably shouldn't get into. But <laughs> I'll, I'm I'm ready to fucking get into it. Uh, well, so. It'll take a while. It could. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Well, the whole idea in America, especially that history is written by the winners. And as we yes. <laughs> movies, Fred Hampton and the Chicago seven lost, unfortunately, and were, you know, kind of pushed aside by the people who tell history. And it's important that they, their stories are told now in whatever way they can be told. And mm-hmm. I'm, I'm happy we have these films if, you know, if only for that, but they're also great movies and I hope they go far. Yeah. Yeah. I agree, man. Yeah. we got a cool group here. Uh, so wh- what would you say? I- I'll, ha- I'll ask two different questions. I'll give you, what's your prediction for the best picture win? And what is your favorite movie of this group? Okay. My prediction, uh, considering last year, the Oscars broke new ground by giving a foreign film, a best picture win for the first time. I Looking at their past behavior, I think they're going to play it safe this time. And I think they're going to give it to Nomadland. Okay. Now, in okay. a perfect world where the Oscars are produced by Connor Izagari, I would give Best Picture to Promising Young Woman. Oh, man. <laughs> I love it. What a difference. I love that. That's awesome. Uh, okay. Yeah, I got, I, got, I, I got two different answers. I, I think I'll, I'll back up what I was saying. I I think Minari is the safest pick and also a good pick. And I think I could see that happening uh, as kind of a bit of a surprise. Uh, I, I believe, I'm not sure what the total, is it six nominations total? I'm not sure. But I, I, I could, six, yeah. Yeah, I could see that happening. Uh, my favorite with like not, not even close, it's Sound of Metal. Uh, love this movie you know it's kind of you know right there at like a 10 for me uh i don't think i don't think it's happening i also got six nominations which is really cool but i yeah i love this movie i would you know i would freak out if it won best picture (laughs) i really would that wouldn't i i couldn't even imagine a day like that where you know i'd feel similar to like when moonlight won where i was just like holy shit are you kidding me like my actual favorite movie you know that's exciting. That's exciting when that stuff happens uh, in real time. And so that would be, that'd be fucking nuts. Uh, but uh, you know, I want to see the father real bad, man, because I want to have that, that opinion. And I've, I've, I've heard great things, nothing but great things. Yeah. Just be prepared. Uh, you're going to cry. Um, of, of course you're going to cry through most of these movies. Yeah. Yeah. So here's a question I'd like to ask you. Okay. Do you think there's anything missing? Do you think anything deserves oh. to be in that group? from last year of course (laughs) of course you know me man uh you know i i think i think there's a whole you know a whole conversation about what would you have in and what's what's your personal stuff but to me there's you know what's more interesting is actually look at the movies that are nominated if you're gonna put one in you gotta take one out you know if you're gonna be like that if you're gonna be like well this one got snubbed then which one would you take out you know, I can't stand seeing that shit, whether it be about sports or movies or whatever it is. When people are like, 
oh, this guy got snubbed. Well, then who are you, who, who do you take out of the group? And until you bring that, that person up or that movie up, I don't want to fucking hear it. <laughs> so what I'll say is to me, there's a movie that's here that's nominated that is 10 out of 10 kind of entertainment. Uh, it's a movie I want to revisit really bad and is without a doubt the first movie that I will choose to do on Oscar Sunday from 2020. And that's another round directed by Thomas Vinterberg starring Mads Mikkelsen about some teachers that are just going to decide to drink a little bit and experiment. And it gets real, real weird and real dark and real funny at times. And I just uh, thought it was a borderline masterpiece and thought it was fucking silly that it was not in the best picture group. And the movie I would take out because of what I said uh, about just kind of having a lack of wanting to revisit it, it'd be the trial of Chicago seven. I would take that one out and put another round in and spice up this entire group. Interesting. I just saw that they uh, they put that movie on Hulu, so I'm going to be able to check that out pretty soon. Yeah, well, well, if you, you can, you know, go for it, obviously, because it's amazing. But we really, I, I promise you, we're going to do an episode on it soon. You want so you want me to save save it for the show? I, I can if, if you want me to. If you want to double watch it, that's up to you. You know what I'm saying? You know, you know what I mean. I I don't mind doing that, but I know some people like to kind of space things out. Mm, I do like to save my first reactions for the show for all three of these shows. So maybe I'll hold off. Okay. And maybe, maybe in that time, you know, we can uh, both, you know, just check out more Thomas Vinterberg stuff, you know, watch the hunt. Uh, that movie's incredible. <laughs> Jesus. Yeah, that's his. Yeah. 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 I've been after Have that you, one for a while. I haven't. You've never seen it. the hunt. Oh my, that is a Connor movie. Oh <laughs> uh, Yeah. Yeah, the hunt and uh, another round. That would that would be like the best double feature you can <laughs> you can ask for, man. <laughs> yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But what about you? Is there is there a movie that maybe it's not even nominated? Is there a movie from twenty twenty that you're kind of like, wait a minute? Um, I was honestly surprised to see Defy Bloods get completely shut out, apart from uh, uh, original score nomination. I don't want to talk about it. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> but for me, um. A film that I was really hoping would get nominated. It was a fair, it's a long shot, but it really spoke to my heart and it really is like one of my favorite films of the year is Onward. Yes. Ah. <laughs> yes. Yeah. One of Pixar's best in years. And I love Soul, but Onward got me right here. <laughs> yeah. Ah. Yeah, man. That would be really cool. So what would you take out for Onward? If you could put a Pixar movie in, what are you taking out? Uh, oh, that's <laughs> there's no good answer to that uh-uh. i i'd have to take out the father i damn yeah i know it's hard it's, it's hard it's a good movie but it's it's straight up unapologetic oscar bait and i got no problem with that but hell yeah that's some of my favorite shit yeah <laughs> well like yeah i mean like in the bedroom fuck yeah give me give me movies like that all day <laughs> that are just like punch you in the face dramas that are like yeah oscars let's go <laughs> Would have started this podcast if we didn't love Oscar bait. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, yeah. You have to have a balance, right? You know, there's there there's kind of the, you know, like digging into movies like Promising a Woman or Sound of Metal, and, and then you know The Father. Uh, what else do we got here? No, No Mad Land is definitely a typical uh, Oscar type movie. Uh, One Night in Miami, I would say, is more of a, you know kind of typical docudrama. I, I I like One Night in Miami though. I thought that shit was cool. Um, I thought Pieces of a Woman was pretty dope. Uh, 
a movie that I do want to see really bad is The White Tiger. Yes. Which is up, I, up, yeah, up for Best Adapted Screenplay. And I believe, <laughs> I believe I wanted to do this movie <laughs> on Sneak Preview. What week was that, though? That they probably had... That was our Dark Knight trilogy recast. Oh, yeah. There was... Yeah, I mean, there was no move in that shit. Yeah. <laughs> the thing is, though, I regret my words big time because I think what I said was, I don't think anyone's going to be talking about that one or some, something like that. And yeah, it was just kind of passive. Are. and Because I, well, I heard, and I'll be honest, this isn't from my own brain. Uh, you know, this is Raman Bahraini's The White Tiger. It's up for Best Adapted Screenplay. And I heard a guy on a podcast say, this is actually pretty good. He actually, he said, he was like, it's actually kind of like a gangster epic. And I was like, oh, all right, maybe I'll check that out. So uh, one day, man, you know, that, that would be a cool one to do on this show. That kind of has the one-off nomination. We love doing movies like that. Yeah, I, I regret big time. We should, yeah, I wish, you know, this might be the first year ever where I try to attempt the, the full slate and just see watch every film including the shorts that was up for anything this year because okay. i've seen i've seen roughly maybe 80 percent already i mean yeah yeah the work you'll have to do is probably let's see the midnight sky have you seen that i did that was not bad love and monsters didn't see that uh pinocchio i didn't even know there was a like an italian pinocchio with roberto benini as geppetto i, like, I can't believe they let him anywhere near Pinocchio yeah. again. What the hell? <laughs> uh, have you seen News of the World, Tommy Hanks? I did. That was really, really good. I, re- I recommend that big time. Um, yeah, you've seen so much of this stuff. A Greyhound? Yeah, that was that was weak. Uh, and then, yeah, here's Best Original Song, Jersey Luxai, yes, of course. You're, you, of course, you've seen Eurovision, <laughs> Miami. Uh, best Documentary. That, that's where you'll have to do some work. Best Documentary is short best documentary feature and then yeah that, i mean besides that man you're, you're almost there uh the international film is going to take some work yeah yeah all five of those all five of the documentaries and then the five uh shorts yeah 10 short 10 10 shorts but those are those are those are those are easy and um the one and only ivan i haven't seen that either okay all right that's not that's not tough that's about a month what? away. About, that's a weekend. Yeah. <laughs> 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 oh, that's great. Yeah, I, I um, I, f- I feel as though we, you know, we're doing an Oscar Sunday show, and we don't talk a lot about what's going on right now in the Oscar race. And as as it is a month away, we're going to start doing that a little bit more. Um, you know, at the beginning of each show, we'll just kind of see where we're both at. You know, and it's kind of a race at this point, and. Uh, we will have a, a big proper Oscar uh, kind of recap on sneak preview the day after the Oscar. So we'll, we'll both be able to, you know, kind of dive into our thoughts about what actually happens. Uh, but for now, it's just speculation. And that's half the fun. Oh, yeah, man. This is you know, Super Bowl season. Like, this is the best. This <laughs> is the shit. I wait for this every year. Like, bring it on. <laughs> yeah, 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 and 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 you know we we still got a you know a movie from 1933 to talk about a little bit here. Uh, <laughs> so you know we'll, we'll kind of is there anything else you want to kind of speak about about the race of the 93rd Academy Awards, or do you want to go ahead and jump to the the sixth? Um, yeah, I'm just I'm excited, and uh, I'm sure you know we'll be talking about it a lot from here on out. Hell yeah, man! Yeah, I'm I'm yeah I echo all that. I'm super super excited, and 
this is the first time where you and I have been able to track it while we're doing shows and doing, doing them on sneak preview and talking about them here. And it's, it's very cool to just kind of, you know, you know, pour your thoughts out about, about these while it's happening. And we are always going back to history and going back in time with Oscar Sunday and filmgasm and giggle guys. And we're, we're always reaching back and kind of paying homage to the past. It's nice to be a part of the, the current conversation. Yeah, I agree. I agree. I'm glad we have kind of everything situated to take care of that on its own in a weird way. Like we've kind of prepared for this. It's nice. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Was not prepared for she done him wrong though, Connor. Uh, <laughs> you, 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 uh, you, you brought it over uh, to me. Uh, you had it on DVD and let me borrow it. And you, you told me you're like, kind of like, this is not, not the strongest film. I was like, ah, oh, what, what could be wrong with it? It's a fucking hour, you know? <laughs> And uh, that, that's exactly the problem. It's just, it, 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 it at no point knows exactly what it is, right? Yeah. Uh, throughout this entire hour, we're just kind of getting these, from, for the most part, half-assed performances and half-assed movie. And I, I don't know, I just was left a little, a little speechless, which is, is even rare when I don't like a movie because it's fun to shit on movies, but I don't even know what to say about this. It's, yeah, I don't really... I was very disappointed with Cary Grant. Like, I know Extremely. he's better than this. I'm like, what the fuck was he doing here? Uh, this is a film that, for some reason, has kind of become in- iconic. Like, it's in the 1001 Movies to See Before You Die compendium. But it's also got a 53% audience score on Rotten Tomatoes. So, like, people don't like this movie, but critics won't let it go. <laughs> I just, yeah, I don't know where that middle ground is, if you can even find it. <laughs> it's not I, I don't know it's similarly on on letterbox people just kind of tear it apart uh as it's been revisited now people are just kind of like what 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 the hell is this and you know it has this significance as you know kind of one of the pre-code films right yeah and you know we've brought up the Hayes code plenty of times this this nasty nasty basically book of laws for movies that lasted for greater than you know longer than 30 years and just kind of derailed uh, American movie making uh, in some ways. And it's very frustrating to see it, to see that it's even necessary, right? Or that it was even a thing. Uh, and this movie here, uh, compared to now, obviously, is, is whatever. But you put yourself in the 30s and you're like, God damn, <laughs> she done him wrong. You know, they're, they're, they're kind of going for it here. But I, I, again, even in the 30s, I've seen, I've seen, seen other films that are first off way better but also just kind of a little more risque i guess i don't know well here's the way i i kind of balance it um in 1948 in the midst of the Hayes code we see Uh humphrey bogart machete another man to death in the treasure of the sierra madre and she done him wrong before the code we see a little bit of cleavage yes that's pretty much it. That's the hate. That's what the code was trying to stop us from seeing. That and a strong woman uh, openly seducing men. Yeah, especially a cop. Yeah. Yeah, a cop and a temperance guy. Yeah. So it can't be, you know, can't be fucking with the virtuous. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And so, so, so it is. It's uh, set in the 1890s, New York City, and Lady Lou, that's May West's character, just kind of she's sing, a singer at this, 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 this bar and 
I kid you not, it's always sunny in Philadelphia knows how to film a bar better. I mean, <laughs> Jesus H Christ. So I think for me, the worst offense is she's a terrible fucking singer. Yeah. Good God, overdub her something. I mean, no, like there's no way. I don't care how hot she is. People would not. It stopped coming. <laughs> she's that Good mess. Lord. Yeah. <laughs> what is that sound? Yeah, they just go down the street to the next person who has a better voice or whatever. Yeah, I, yeah. I also immediately was like, yeah, I wouldn't, I wouldn't pay to hear a person sing like that. You know, when I pay money to see someone sing or play play music, I, I, I want to be impressed, <laughs> not, not, not you know, shrieking. Trying to shell out a full like hay penny or however much it costs for a bottle of whiskey in 1890, I want some goddamn entertainment. And this was not entertainment. <laughs> yeah, no, no, no. And therefore, she done him wrong. Weak movie. It, 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 one of the most fascinating things is that it made $2 million, you know, on a, on a budget of about 200000 And so, you know, in the 30s, you got to think, wow, this is a kind of, kind of a big deal. And, you know, it, yeah, you, you, you read up these things and it's kind of, kind of set some records back in the early 30s and then has the effect of kind of setting the Hayes Code sending it into play and then we see yeah we just see kind of just ridiculous you know little laws that are all over hollywood and all over movie making up until the late 60s and when you watch this movie you feel like you're gonna be just kind of floored by it but again you're just not you're just not the the little bit of cleavage just does not do it just does not floor you like you think it will (laughs) adjusted for inflation two million dollars in 1933 is 40 million dollars today roughly a little over. Yeah. That, that's a decent box office gross. <laughs> um, yeah. You think it was just, you know, there were only like eight movies that came out per year that people wanted to see. You think that's why it was like, well, I can't drink and the world's about, you know, falling apart. I might as well go to the movie. <laughs> yeah. 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 Eight movies in the Academy nominated all of them for best picture. <laughs> I can't get a whiskey and the crops are dead. Better go to the pictures. <laughs> that's pretty much why <laughs> oh yeah i'm gonna see that new picture she done him wrong a little bit of cleavage eh? the movie the movie did us wrong damn it I just yeah it's oh it's my so god weak for so little i mean all of may west's lines are you know in half-assed innuendos i felt like i was watching batman and robin like it's just this you know there's no character developing dialogue apart from the time that she just randomly kills somebody yeah what the hell was that all about it's like oh it's also never addressed he just says like hey you take care of this and we never hear from that again yeah it was kind of hilarious i was like oh am i watching a a hitchcock movie now what's going on yeah we have another 30 minutes or something (laughs) oh my gosh absurd and and this 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 uh ceremony that it's at again it's only nominated for best picture and so, of course, both of us are like, what the fuck is that about? You know, but then you but then you just look at the Sixth Academy Awards. And you're like, oh, shit's just weird. <laughs> like, look at the outstanding production <laughs> category. You have Cavalcade, uh, which won uh, 42nd Street, A Farewell to Arms. I'm a Fugitive from a Chain Gang, Lady for a Day, Little Women, The Private Life of Henry VIII. Uh, she Done Him Wrong, Smiling Through and State Fair. And then you go to Best Director, and there's only fucking three nominations. You're just like, what, <laughs> what is this? 
The weirdest? Scroll down to best assistant director. One, two, three, four, five, six. There were seven winners. <laughs> what the fuck is this? <laughs> Wait a minute. Best, yeah. So best assistant director, there's one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven. So 18 people nominated and seven winners for best assistant director. I, I'm These a bit, early I'm Oscars a, just slay me, really. <laughs> the Academy Award for Best Assistant Director was awarded from 1933 through 1937. Good. In the first year of this award, it referred to no specific film. No kidding, because there's seven. <laughs> These, these were small crews and small studios. Like, all the same people made the same fucking movies. There's no... Yeah, this is crazy. Oh, my God. So, basically, what I see here is a participation award for all the major studios. Paramount, Universal, MGM, United Artists, Warner Brothers, RKO, 20th Century, 20th Century Fox. Basically... What they're doing is like, here, we'll just suck your dick for a second so you'll shut the fuck up. Here's your gold. Now get the hell get the hell out of here. We're getting rid of this award in two years. God. Oh, Jesus. Yeah. This is some Louis B. Mayer make everyone happy bullshit. A hundred percent. You don't even need to do any research. You already, already know where this came from. <laughs> God. It's amazing this evolved into a competent, like a competent award show that made sense and actually honored film. Because in the early years, it's a fucking mess. It really yeah, it's is. An absolute shit show. Most of the categories have three. There's a couple that have four. And then, of course, that ridiculous assistant director and outstanding production both have a bunch. Um, I, I will say uh, I, I desperately want to see Morning Glory. It's uh, Catherine Hepburn, one of her four wins. Mm-hmm. And you know, she's arguably the most, you know, decorated, depending on how you look at it. Uh, Meryl Streep has more nominations, but Catherine Hepburn has the most wins ever. And it's always fun to watch those, you know, just to kind of, even if it's just to check them off the list, you never know, you might really dig it. So uh, I really want to see Morning Glory. I would very much like to see The Private Life of Henry VIII. Uh, Charles mm-hmm. Lawton is an actor I've heard a lot about, would like to explore his work and a uh, director. I think he did The Night of the Hunter. That sounds right. Yeah. Uh, yeah, there's, you know, bits and pieces from every award show that we would like to say, you know, see a lot of these films probably don't exist anymore. Um, but I'm sure, you know, we can find some of these. Oh, yeah, for sure. I, I watched uh, Farewell to Arms uh, on Criterion. It, it's it's awesome, man. Gary Cooper is fucking super good in it. So I enjoyed that one. And, and it just shows you, hey, like, not not every 30s movie is just kind of lackadaisical and like she done him wrong. You know, there are great movies from every decade and bad movies from every decade. Uh, I, I anticipate coming back to, to, to this one problem to this uh, ceremony through probably private life of Henry the eighth. And then I'll watch morning glory by doing that, you know, but uh, I, I, I don't intend on coming back for a while. <laughs> Classic does not always mean good. The, the birth of a nation is a classic. That does mm. not mean it's a good movie. Mm-hmm. It's a racist piece of shit. But it is a classic. So classic is not synonymous with a masterpiece. And I think more people need to know that. Uh, yeah, 100%. Yeah, those words do not always mean the same thing. Uh, do, do you want to you pick some awards for this, this bullshit or what? 
try. Yeah, yeah, you know, I, I got some here. Uh, I, I had a lot of trouble with the Inyo because of the lack of kind of information about this score on the internet because I was trying to find the names of – I, like, couldn't find it. I, like, couldn't find this particular score online, so I couldn't find the name of the song that I liked from the movie, which is so sad, you know. <laughs> oh, man. But, yeah, we you know, I got them picked out here. You know, we're going to try to have some fun. Uh, we got the Tarantino for best line or quote, the Enyo for best music moment, the Philip Seymour Hoffman for best performance of the movie, and the Roger Deakins for best scene or moment. So I'll let you take it away with your Tarantino. Um, what's it, you know, Let's preface this with these are all participation trophies for me. I have no investment in this movie. Um, Same. Same. With that said, before, what is your rating of this movie? It's five. Yeah, same. Same. I also, yeah, on Letterboxd to give it a fat two and a half stars. Yeah. Ouch. Yeah. I want, I really want one day some Oscar historian to call us out and be like, how dare you? And we can just say like, how dare you? I would love for that to happen. You, you fucker yeah <laughs> you disrespected you know. <laughs> god oh boy um so my tarantino is pretty much the only recognizable line that came out of this movie it's may west saying why don't you come up sometime and see me yeah come like, um, kind of the, the ta- it's on the case like it's one of the most iconic movie quotes of all time because it's basically it's a woman in 1933 finding a way to say i want to fuck you <laughs> in a film that you could not swear in. So, yeah. And she said that a lot to the same guy, like, hey, you, come and see me. Like, Jesus. Yeah. <laughs> yes, well, it's, that's, that's the movie. That is the screenplay, is is Mae West just kind of occasionally saying things that are, yeah, innuendos. So, um, I, I was like, let me find one that's not totally that, but it actually kind of is, you know, because uh, you can't. And it's uh, when she, she, it's Lady Lou, Mae West, talking to Serge, and she's like, hmm, but you wouldn't be much use to me dead, would you? Thought that was kind of funny, just the delivery, because her, yeah, her voice is so crazy, singing and talking. And I thought that scene was sort of funny, because she's just kind of like, I have control of you, bitch. I got you by the balls. And, and uh, while I would rather see that, just like a woman just say, I have you by the balls, bitch, uh, Ah, it was a decent piece of the screenplay, I guess. Amazing. If just randomly in a 1930s film, somebody just goes, I got you by the balls, bitch. <laughs> yeah, just out of nowhere. Yeah. Yeah. Kill Bill style. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's interesting because I've, you know, I've seen all the American Pie films. I've seen Animal House. I've seen Fast Times at Ridgemont High. I've seen so many movies. This might be the horniest movie I've ever seen. Like, everybody is just, I got to fuck something. <laughs> and, I'm, but I'm not quite going to say it. <laughs> but May, even Mae West the whole time is like, hmm. Before every line she says is like, hmm. Like she's checking somebody out at all times. It's ridiculous. Oh, man. Yeah. Maybe that's, maybe that's the symbolism of the movie is that we're all just sexual animals. Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> I guess. Do they like get married at the end? Is that Cary Grant like, hey, I'm a cop, but also will you marry me? Is that what that yeah, means? that's that's what I interpreted. And she's like, "Oh, you already got me. <laughs> you don't need those handcuffs." <laughs> and I was like, "Oh, so they're in a relationship?" <laughs> and, right. the, and the credit the credits started rolling, and I was like, "Jesus, I got to watch something else." <laughs> the story felt like some fanfic from a one act play at a high school, like just ridiculous 
every idea they had, like, oh, what if they did this? Oh, what if they get married? Oh, what if he's a cop? See, like, just they just kept coming <laughs> up with shit, but nobody told them to stop. <laughs> exactly. I would love to be in that writer's room. <laughs> Or lack thereof. <laughs> One writer in like a small hotel room, just you know, giant pile of quaaludes and just trying to, you know, Mae West is coming. I got to write something horny. Like, <laughs> 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 oh my God. And they're like, they're like, Jesus, man, you only turned out an hour long movie. Yeah, but it's genius. I swear to God, it's got everything. <laughs> Locked away in a hotel room, uh, gives him five pages, and it's like, you got to do something with this. This is all I got. <laughs> I guess we could get an hour out of this. Jesus Christ. Oh, man. That is wonderful. Uh, <laughs> that's that's the screenplay, though, man. It's just May West kind of, hey, you want to go upstairs? That's that's all it is. Uh, and then talking about diamonds, yeah. Uh, yeah the, the, about diamonds. The 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 Inyo. even this uh, this gentleman's name John I believe it's John Leopold he's not credited for this score on IMDb and I was trying to do research on him and you just I just could not find anything you know could not find anything about this guy who composed the score for this movie and I thought there were some okay music moments but I I can't figure out what they're all called <laughs> you know and that that kind of sucks because I usually like to pinpoint a piece of the score. And usually you can find it on YouTube or Spotify or whatever. And with this one, just I just could not find anything. But I I actually went back and started the movie over, uh, and I was going through going through kind of the intro music, uh, just kind of started the movie. And, and and I think I think that theme, the theme song in a way, I guess is what you call it, is pretty effective in itself. Uh, but I, I wanted to kind of find a specific piece, and I couldn't. Same. But it's not surprising that they didn't throw credit to the composer. I mean, early Hollywood, you know, they were way more thrifty than they are today. I mean, just to save money, they would, you know, get somebody to compose and, you know, fuck over their contract. And that would be the end of it. I mean, these guys were powerful. You know, who you, you're going to, you're a film composer. You're going to tell Louis B. Mayer you didn't get your credit. He's going to fuck, tell you, get out, of your, get out of his office and you'll never work in this town again. Yeah. It just was the risk you took before, you know, all these people could unionize. Um, my music moment comes from really just Lou's first musical number because it caught me off guard of how bad she was a singer she was yeah I almost did that (laughs) I almost did that too just the the initial shriek yeah (laughs) wow just singing through her nose the most like and even the lyrics of the song are like aren't I hot don't you want to fuck me like that's the whole thing the whole fucking thing is that there's no substance here at all wonderful wonderful it was like it was it was as if you know william i don't know how to say his name again the head producer here from paramount uh lebron i don't know i don't want to say lebron but uh it's lebaron maybe i don't know he he just doesn't you know these these decisions they're making are, are terrible and in 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 that in the singing at what point were you watching and you're like, yeah, this, this is what we got. And then they're just going to go with it and be like, yeah, we, we have to make this movie. We have to commit to this. It's almost like when someone gets caught in a, caught in a lie and they're like, oh, fuck. And they got to kind of backtrack and, ooh, and they're, but they're so committed that they're just going to kind of roll with it. It's like this movie. They just kind of, 
just have no idea what exactly they're doing. They're just going to kind of go with it. That sucks. The screenwriter overslept, never wrote anything. (laughs) And like came, went into the studio with like a packet of blank pages. And they're like, all right, give us the outline. He's like, well, uh, he looks out the window, sees a nightclub. It's a nightclub singer. Yeah. Yeah. Diamond truck rolls past. Uh, She's after diamonds. She likes diamonds. And uh, temperance movement guys start walking out. There's a temperance guy, cops walking after him, and he's a cop. Like, that's what it feels like. There's no, like, nothing connects. This guy, this guy was just winging it. Yeah. Also, also, we're just going to be, we're going to be more risque than most other movies. And that's going to be our thing. That's going to be kind of our, (laughs) that'll be our trait. Yeah. (laughs) Like, fuck off. Uh, So ridiculous. Um, The Philip Seymour Hoffman. Just nobody, nobody really deserves this. Uh, but I, I give it to Mae West just for fun. I, I thought Cary Grant was kind of just phoning it in the entire time. So I went with, I went with Mae West. I also went with Mae West because nobody else really, I mean, say what you want about her performance. I remembered it. It's nothing yeah. special, but I do remember hearing her just be horny for an hour. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and and uh, for, for whatever it's worth, like, yeah. You, you you walk away with some stuff and other things you forget. That's what happens when you watch a shit ton of movies. And I'm going to forget a lot of this movie, but you and I went back and forth with her kind of, you know, her voice. Clearly we were kind of like laughing about it. So that's something. Again, these are not really the proper uh, statues that we're giving out. Uh, these are kind of like foil made up ones. Like, here you go. <laughs> yeah, usually, you know, we have a winner this time, you know, it's the kids' soccer team that didn't take home the, the gold, but everyone, you know, the coach is still like, hey, we're going out for pizza. That's that's a victory, right? <laughs> that's what we're Yeah. Doing. Come on, kids. Come on, kids. Yeah, you know, we, we have ribbons to hand out. Yeah. <laughs> it's a victory with ribbons where nobody's really happy. <laughs> Incredible. All right. All right. Well, let's go ahead and do it then. Uh, the Roger Deakins, what do you got? Just because it caught me off guard and I was hoping something was going to come from it. It's when Lou just randomly kills Rita with a knife to the chest. Yeah. Has to be. Has to be the Russian Rita moment. Has to be. But, like, it's over, like, a pin. Like, she, and Lou's reaction's like, oh, damn. Looks like I'm in a bind again. Hey, you, clean this up for me, will you? Like, that's it. There's no... And, and, and like, you know I'd they- do anything for you, Lou. Yeah, and, and and maybe like do that as your main plot point. I don't know. Like maybe have her murder Rita, and then there's this whole thing about this super important pen, and now people are after it. I don't know. You know, maybe do some screenwriting. And that scene, like you said, you just kind of catches off guard. And that performance, I don't know her name, uh, that plays Russian Rita. She's incredible. I'll, I'll get it here. I believe it is. E. It's not Owen Moore, is it? Not Owen Moore, not Gilbert Rowland, obviously, not Noah Beery. I don't know who that lady was because her accent is absolutely bonkers. Rafaela Altiano. There she is. Yep. Just came across her as well. Italian. Yeah, I thought I thought that I thought that moment was like actually worth watching. Yeah. I think, you know, if that had happened at the beginning, like the whole first, you know, 20 minutes, you've got, you know, this sex symbol who's super you know, positive in her body image and very confident accidentally murders somebody. 
And then you see that persona unravel over the course of the movie as she's like racked with guilt and fear of what comes next. You got a movie there. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. I, I, I think there's ways to go here. And I, I, again, the, there are some amazing kind of like crime thrillers in the thirties that are just fucking mind blowing. And this movie probably could have gone there and just, just, just decided not to until the very end when it was too late. Uh, I, again, yeah, I, I give it a five, man. Uh, I don't really desire to revisit it. It's along with Hamlet, my least favorite movie we've ever covered on Oscar Sunday. I don't know. I really hated faces. I know. I, I know you. Let's give it a five. You also didn't like what do we? You didn't like a oh no. You liked La Strada. You just didn't like the other Fellini ones. Yeah, but base movies. Yeah, it's got to be for you. It's got to be Faces, this, and Hamlet, and Chariots of Fire. Yeah. Oh man, that one was not. That one was so forgettable. Oh my god. Yeah. <laughs> already, already. That was our last Best Picture Showdown episode forty. I already forgot it. <laughs> Oh my gosh. 100 years of Oscars. It can't all be winners. <laughs> Incredible stuff, man. Well, that, that was that, it, it, in its own way, it was fun. And I'm, I'm really glad we got to talk about the, the, uh, the race that's happening right now uh, in real life with the 93 Academy Awards coming up in about a month. Uh, I'm, I'm really excited. Next week, we'll, we'll kind of talk a little bit about them again. You know, uh, if I see the father, I'll definitely bring it up. Um, Maybe we can cover a different category next week and kind of just look at, you know, look at the best actor race, kind of see where we're at, best actress, best supporting, best director, all these different things. Uh, it's, it's, it's getting to that point where you and I, like you said, it's Super Bowl Sunday is coming up and we're just, we're just getting excited and we like to kind of keep our minds in that gear. But, but, but next week we're, we are doing a, a massive, massive holiday Easter, you know, bonanza. <laughs> uh, we're going we're gonna to attempt to cover the near four hour long the ten commandments from 1956 which is you know a movie that i have not seen at all i'm very excited to dive into this this kind of epic movie that is seen as a you know a technical kind of like landmark in 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 cinema so i I can't wait man i'm excited uh this has been you know I i have not seen a lot of religious films uh it's Easter Sunday is the 65th anniversary of the Ten Commandments this year. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. So we thought it'd be, you know, a good movie to kind of, you know, tackle on Easter. And uh, it is three hours and 40 minutes long. Uh, it's the story of Moses. And uh, I'm excited. I've only ever seen the scene where he parts the Red Sea. And it is quite astonishing for 1956. But I have not seen the rest of the film. And I'm excited to do this. Yeah, man. Yeah. Total of seven nominations, one win for best effects, special effects. So yeah. Join us next week for Easter and we're going to dive into the 10 commandments. Hell yeah. Uh, this week on filmgasm, uh, I am going into deeply disturbing territory by covering the film that gave me endless nightmares when I was six years old, the 2001 sci-fi comedy evolution. (laughs) Very nice. Can't wait to listen to that. All makes sense on the episode. I promise. (laughs) <laughs> and um yeah on the sneak preview we're going to be covering uh the new bob odenkirk action thriller nobody uh caleb will be on that one so check that out and uh whatever we got coming up with the google guys loving their catalog thus far yeah no kidding man they've done uh, let's see the other guys book smart i love you man and the disaster artist 
just just a really unique variety and I'm, I'm really enjoying what they're doing uh <clears throat> definitely check that out it's a totally different change of pace to what you're kind of used to on filmgasm and and you know you and i one of the first things we talked about as kind of just friends uh, is comedy you know is, is what movies that just fucking make us laugh and especially especially tv too right you know we clicked right away talking about it's always sunny and seinfeld and those things and so ha- having kind of these voices that they say things that I, I have thought before <laughs> and having those voices uh, on our show is, is, is really, really cool to, to speak about these, these funny ass movies. And we've managed to create a four show environment where we can talk about pretty much everything. <laughs> like, yeah. Yeah. Pretty much, you know, um, obviously this is super uh, specific to Oscar nominated movies and whatnot. But it, but it's that's a pretty vast, uh, you know, <laughs> pool of movies, and then filmgasm is really pulling from horror and thriller and those kind of gritty genre movies, and and then comedy and sneak preview has no rules, so it's yeah, man, we we're we're in a really interesting spot and having a lot of fun and finding finding a groove for sure. Hell yeah! Uh, I hope we were able to make this disappointing film entertaining for y'all. Thanks for listening to it <laughs> if you made it this far. Uh, Tune in next week for the Ten Commandments, and we'll see you next Sunday.